Welcome to the Meb Faber Show, where the focus is on helping you grow and preserve your wealth. Join us as we discuss the craft of investing and uncover new and profitable ideas, all to help you grow wealthier and wiser. Better investing starts here. Meb Faber is the co-founder and chief investment officer at Cambria Investment Management. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Cambria's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Cambria Investment Management or its affiliates. For more information, visit cambriainvestments.com. Welcome, podcast listeners. We have another Meb Short. This one should be quick. It's kind of fun, but I think it's important. Today's topic is nobody wants to invest in your shit. A lot of you will probably read this on the blog because this is a recent one I pinned in February, but I think it's a really fun topic that hopefully will let you think about investing differently and become a better investor. So let's get started. Nobody wants to read your shit. This is not an email I received from an angry reader, though I've received many similar ones over the years, although my stuff is pretty boring and quanty, so I don't get as much hate mail as, as probably a lot of people do. But that's actually the title of a fun book on the topic of writing that was published several years ago by the author of Bagger Vance and other titles, Stephen Pressfield. He also wrote a book that I haven't read yet that a lot of people have mentioned since this article called The War of Art uh, that was great. But here's a passage from Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit that explains the general takeaway. When you understand that nobody wants to read your shit, your mind becomes powerfully concentrated. You begin to understand that writing, reading is, above all, a transaction. The reader donates his time and attention which are supremely valuable commodities. In return, you, the writer, must give him something worthy of his gift to you. When you understand that nobody wants to read your shit, you develop empathy. You acquire the skill that is indispensable to all artists and entrepreneurs, the ability to switch back and forth in your imagination from your own point of view as a writer, painter, seller, to the point of view of your reader customer. You learn to ask yourself with every sentence and every phrase, is this interesting? Is it fun or challenging or inventive? Am I giving the reader enough? End of quote. And by the way, this is a really fun short book. If you're particularly a writer, it's totally changed the way I think about writing and reading. But before writing anything else, a quick apology. As you guys know, I'm the author and editor of seven books, dozen white papers, thousands of blog posts. What do we have? 150 plus podcasts at this point. It's dawned on me. I'm a veritable shitstorm myself. So thanks to all the survivors out there still brave enough to read and listen to my work. I am going to tie this all into investing shortly, but for the moment, consider the enormity of this prior passage I just read. If you ask someone to listen to this podcast or read your blog or God forbid your 400 page book, that's a huge ask. It's expensive on a time value money perspective, but also on an opportunity cost perspective. What else could the listener or reader be doing with that time? Cooking dinner, hiking, learning a new language, working overtime, taking a nap, playing Fortnite, or even just spending some time with some loved ones. Instead, they're reading your shit. Of course, they may not be reading your shit for long. As that quote points out, this relationship between the author and reader is a transaction. The reader's time and attention exchange for the author's gift of words. Unfortunately, the transaction often breaks down. How come? Well, let's consider the reasons most people want to be an author. They include, among others... They want to get rich, which is funny to all the authors (laughs) that are listening to this, because most don't. Even a lot of articles have shown that the uh, many New York Times bestselling full-time writers barely make medium wage. 
Another reason you want to get famous, you want celebrity status, you want to market a brand, which seems to be the biggest one these days, build a following. Some people out there enjoy writing so much they simply can't not write. Some people actually really want to educate and or tell a fun story. Now, why do most people pick up a book? Perhaps to learn something new and or something interesting, to experience enjoyment and pleasure, in other words, for fun. Uh, Lastly, to escape from reality. Maybe you do want to avoid your family. Where's the Venn diagram overlap between why writers write and why readers read? Basically, it's wanting to educate slash learn something new and interesting, and also wanting to tell and experience the enjoyment of a fun story. That's it. None of the readers give a shit about making you rich or making you famous or building your damn brand. Most of the books that are written based on an author's desire, make money, achieve fame, market a brand, and so on, they often fail to make good on the unspoken contract between writer and author, time in exchange for value. Many authors make the book about them rather than writing for the reader. The result, the reader puts down the book after a few pages, never to return. Now, what does any of this have to do with investing? Let's make a few tweaks to the book title and passage from the book, and you'll see. Let's rephrase it. Nobody wants to invest in your shit. This is my quote, but we just changed out a few words. When you understand that nobody wants to invest in your shit, your mind becomes powerfully concentrated. You begin to understand that investing is, above all, a transaction. The investor donates his money, which is a supremely valuable commodity. In return, you, the portfolio manager, must give him something worthy of his gift to you. When you understand that nobody wants to invest in your shit, you develop empathy. You acquire the skill that is indispensable to all investors. The ability to switch back and forth in your imagination from your own point of view as a portfolio manager to the point of view of the investor. You learn to ask yourself with every sentence and every phrase, is this return enhancing? Is it risk reducing? Am I charging too much? Am I giving the investor enough? Continuing the parallel, think about the reasons most investment professionals want to launch a fund and be a portfolio manager. They include getting rich. That seems to be the biggest one. Achieving fame and status. Everybody wants to be Bobby Axelrod and Stevie Cohen. Marketing a brand and building a following. And then, of course, improving returns for the client, reducing risk for the client. Now, think about the reasons most people want to invest in a fund or an investment. To be fair, there are many stupid reasons to invest in a fund. I'm going to ignore those. Bragging rights, something to talk about, scratching a gambling itch, greed, fear, envy. I'm going to ignore those. There should really only be about four legitimate reasons to invest in any investment or fund. One, to improve your returns. Two, diversify your current portfolio and or reduce risk. Three, improving the chance of a positive outcome, which means something like helping you behave well. And lastly, to reduce your fees or taxes. Here too, we see only a small overlap in the Venn diagram. It's at this point when a comparison between reading a book and investing in a fund breaks down a little bit. You see, when picking up a new book, whether or not stick with it is a relatively easy decision. Consciously or not, you weigh the other activities you might be doing with your very valuable time relative to how interested hooked you are in the book. If the book hooks you and delivers lots of fun pleasure, then it remains the center of your attention in the to-do list. We'll just have to wait. On the other hand, if the book doesn't snag your attention, it gets tossed. I remember I think one of the only books I read cover to cover was The Road. What a wonderful book. Investing is different. The reality is that too many people remain wedded to awful dog shit holdings they should have sold a long time ago. Take a moment and think about what's in your portfolio right now. I'll wait. Can you say definitively that every investment deserves to be in there? You're certain of this benefit and value. 
And if the answer is I'm not so sure, you might as well consider that a no for the purpose of this exercise. Go take our old article, The Zero Budget Portfolio for a Spin, for more on this topic. This put-your-book-down moment isn't as clear to many investors for a handful of reasons. We become emotionally wedded to certain investments. We see them lose tons of value and hold on to them hoping they'll come back. We see them gain tons of value and hold on to them hoping they'll gain even more. We buy based purely on the greed of riches from a hot tip. Often we forget the reason we bought the investment in the first place. The list goes on. Given this challenge with booting an investment from a portfolio, what should be our criteria for putting the book down? Or, or alternatively, for even picking up the book in the first place? Do you know there's over 10,000 mutual funds in, the, in ETFs? And that's just in the United States. We live in a world where you can essentially invest in the global market portfolio of stocks, bonds, real estate, and commodities for a very low cost. Let me repeat that. You can buy one, we manage one, or multiple ETFs that will give you access to the global market portfolio. And this portfolio sets a very high bar for historical risk-adjusted performance. And it's basically free. If you include, include short lending, some of it may be free. In fact, some of it may pay you to own it. Historically, this portfolio has returned about 9% per year, 8% vol, 0.55% sharp ratio, mild drawdowns of about 25-30%. The global market portfolio becomes the investable benchmark base case portfolio from which all their portfolios should be judged and funds and investments. So as an investor, any new potential investment needs to clear one or more of the following four objectives to warrant an inclusion into this global market portfolio. Likewise, any current investment needs to clear them to remain a holding. Let's revisit. First one, does the new fund or investment improve the absolute returns of my global market portfolio base case? Two, does the new fund or investment reduce the risk of my portfolio? Three, does the new fund or investment improve the chances of my sticking to my plan? And four, lastly, does the new fund or investment reduce the cost or tax efficiency in my portfolio? That's it. Does your new 2 and 20 shiny tax inefficient hedge fund check that box? Unlikely. Does your flashy new thematic sector fund check any of the boxes? That chance. What about investing in your cousin's hot new startup? Probably not. Taking a flyer in your neighbor's favorite stock pick? No way. My guess is if you were to take your roster of funds and holdings and evaluate whether they hold up to the aforementioned objectives and criteria, most, if not all, would fail. This does not mean that the global market portfolio is the only reasonable choice for investment investors. Lots of asset allocations in our free book, Global Asset Allocation, are probably just fine. Again, you can download that for free, cambryinvestments.com. Many times, I've also made clear my beliefs, there are value-added departures from this base case allocation. In fact, I clearly outline them in our white paper, The Trinity Portfolio. For example, I believe in tilting towards value or carry and momentum, which check box one and perhaps two of improving absolute returns and reducing risk. Everyone, long-term followers know I also believe in trend following, which is probably boxes two and three. So reducing risk helped me sticking to my portfolio. It may increase returns, but I, I wouldn't count on it. Tail risk even. That helps to improve my chances sticking to my plan, may reduce risk. I also like angel investing. That's maybe boxes one, three, and four, and even farmland, two, three, and four. These departures from the global market portfolio work for me. 
They don't have to work for everyone. There's probably no one else they work for. I believe they're additive and worth the effort to include in the portfolio. However, I do my best to implement them in a systematic, low-cost, tax-efficient manner. After all, building an automated process using tax-efficient ETFs sets a very, very high hurdle for the addition of anything new, funds, investment strategies to that portfolio. Wrapping up, what's most important is you find an investment approach that works for you. Yet it should set a high bar for after-tax, after-fee measures of risk and return. And when you're talking to one of these new mutual fund managers, where 60 to 80% of them have nothing invested in their own fund, let me repeat that, nothing invested in their own fund, and they come and pitch you the latest super proprietary, rigorous, high-tech alpha fund, you can politely reply, hey, bud, no one wants to invest in your shit. Hope you guys enjoyed another short Meb episode. You can leave us feedback at themebfavorshow.com. We love hearing your suggestions, complaints, criticisms, all that fun stuff. You can subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. We love when our listeners leave reviews. We read them all, I promise, on iTunes and also any of the other podcast apps. Thanks for listening, friends, and good investing. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights.